Tania Thomas is the Director of Thoughts and Ideas at Knowing Self, Knowing Others. With a wealth of experience working in children's and family services across the public sector, she is an incredible source of wisdom when it comes to understanding emotional intelligence as an essential component of great leadership. You will walk away from this podcast, as with all of our podcasts, with tools that you can use immediately to become a better leader. Now, before I hit play, how do you deliver leadership training in your workplace? Did you know that just shy of 50% of employees in a recent survey identified that the number one skill they wanted their manager to have was leadership? That was way above team skills, problem solving and time management. But oddly enough, many of us are promoted into leadership positions without having any leadership training at all. At Leader Connect, we offer a range of leadership courses to organisations just like yours. And we do that in a number of ways to suit you and your team. Face-to-face, virtual and even self-guided leadership via our leadership training platform. Simple yet powerfully effective leadership training that works for your budget and your business. Pop over now to leader-connect.co.uk for a better idea of what we do enjoy the episode. Nia, you know the routine because I know that you listen to this podcast, which I'm so grateful to you for. 60 seconds to sum up who you are, your CV, your life story. Welsh, a leader of children and family support services, um, predominantly in the last 15 years um, across the NHS, local government, uh, civil service, and now in the charitable sector manager of people, places, resources, children's charity trustee, blogger, podcaster. I'd like you to tell people what your area, particular area of leadership expertise is because it's fascinating. Okay. So as I mentioned, I my background is in the public sector, but what really drew me to leadership and leadership through the lens of self-awareness was through my own experiences of one organization where I had a negative experience and watching four layers of manager who, in my estimation, behaved poorly. And I was constantly asking the question of, do these people have any idea of their impact that they're having on others? And then a more positive experience of working in another organization where I was watching people without uh, leadership within their title but nevertheless leading teams. And I was starting to think, well, these two instances keep coming back to me. They are so very different, but there must be something that connects them. And it was very much about how the individual saw themselves, how they how they related to others. And then, which brought me right back to the question of, do they know um, are they aware? Are they unaware? Are they making choices about how they behave? And really, that's how I came to my study. Polar opposite experiences have led you to this scenario now where we, we are now talking on this podcast about people being self-aware, which is fascinating. And I wanted to just ask you, again, because I always ask people this, what do you now believe is your clear and compelling purpose? Interesting. I I did one of Simon Sinek's classes over lockdown because what else were we going to do over lockdown? <laughs> and my why is to nurture the things that make us shine bright so that we can touch the stars. 
And it's very much around supporting, learning, nurturing others so that they get the opportunity to achieve their best. And one of the things that interests me in self-awareness is not only being aware of how you behave, but it's the acknowledgement that how you behave, you have a potential to change. And by changing how you behave, you change how others respond and behave towards you. And I think when I talk about about self-awareness to other people, what I really want to get across is this message of you are in control of your own destiny in terms of how people respond to you. So very much along the lines of karma, what you give out, you get back. And if you behave in a certain way, there is potential that that comes back positively or negatively. So when when I see colleagues who maybe were using language that wasn't appropriate or laughing and having too much banter that was actually slipping down the route the route of being unprofessional my conversation with them would be about how does this impact you i know you're having fun i know you're talking to your colleagues but do you know who's just walked past you are you applying for a job that that person is going to be interviewing do you know how your reputation changes by what they've just heard from that 20 seconds as they went by you? So it's very much about, I'm not trying to raise self-awareness because I want to reprimand or I want to tell anybody off about behavior. What I'm trying to say is, if you are behaving in a way that is your informed choice, that is absolutely fine. But if you haven't thought of the impact that your behavior might have on you, then I want to be able to open that debate up with those individuals so they can make those informed choices. I love that statement. Just say it again, what your what your clear and compelling purpose is. To nurture the things that make us shine bright so that we can touch the stars. Oh, it's lovely. If you haven't got it on a mug or a t-shirt, I think you should too. <laughs> yes, what an excellent idea. I wanted to know what your definition of leadership is. My definition, as listeners will guess, is through the lens of self-awareness. But before I tell you about the definition, I, I think I need to, to explain some of the terms that I use. So there are two elements of leadership for me. It's what you do and how you do it. So as I was looking um, and researching and doing literary reviews for my research, there is a term first order knowledge, which is made up of the, the technical skills or the hard skills that we that we think of, like fixing a bicycle or conducting brain surgery, that more technical. Then there is second order knowledge, which is made up of the relational skills or, or what we tend to term as soft skills, but my view was that they're probably harder than the technical skills. Mm. But nevertheless, relational skills is what I generally term them. Um, and they're your communication, your being a, ability to have difficult conversations. So when I give my definition of leadership, I'm talking about first order technical and second order emotions and behaviours. So I'll probably come on and talk to you a little bit more about my definition of self-awareness, but it has three layers. Mm -hmm. And in terms of leadership being reflected through that lens, so the first part of my definition, an ability to recognize your hard skills, knowledge and capabilities, 
and relational skills, emotions and behaviors through reflection and introspection. Mm-hmm. So that's layer one. Layer two, an ability to recognize how hard skills, knowledge and capabilities and relational skills, emotions and behaviors are received and perceived by others. And then the third layer, an ability to recognize the impact of your hard skills and capabilities and relational skills, emotions and behaviors on others and your ability to respond and regulate that impact. So you've got reflection, recognition and regulation. And they are of your hard skills and your relational skills. I don't think I'm alone in this scenario. I found it very hard to recognize what my leadership skills were because I thought that, you know, when I looked at other people that were leaders, you 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 see that kind of um what you see at kind of face value, which is which is often the person that has probably been had quite a lot of academic success. Um, is probably quite hard nosed and um, all of those kind of cliche things that we've always seen as leaders. And, and we put those kind of leaders up on, on the TV, don't we? Um, you know, a prime example would be someone like Alan Sugar, you know, comes yeah. as quite, um, as quite harsh, quite, um, difficult to get on with. But I recognize that some of that is, is for entertainment. But what I love about that is, is that I think that I have always been very self-aware of myself, but also um, other people, how I behave, reflecting um, on on other people's behaviours, the whole kind of Batari's box scenario. And I think that the day that I realised that actually I could use those skills of being very aware of how I behave, and we'll we'll talk about maybe being a bit too aware in in, in a few moments' time, um, being aware how I behave and being able to coach people to be aware of how they behave and how their behavior it, it kind of impacts on people, communication, etc. When I realized that that was kind of what leadership was about, it just it just opened up a whole new world to me. And I hope that there are other people listening to this who will also realize that those skills are really important. A number of people that I've talked to um, when I've been doing interviews uh, for my podcast was they were talking about this very traditional idea of leadership, the industrial paradigm where it is male, extroverted, as you said, hard, Mm. um, less emotional intelligence. But it is definitely changing. And I think that's accelerated by COVID because there was such a need for organisations to step up in terms of their ability to support their their staff, their colleagues, and well-being became a a topic of conversation for every leader within every organisation. So I think that's even though I think we were seeing a change anyway, I think that's been accelerated by COVID. I think the leaders who are more emotionally intelligent will rise to the fore. And I think in five years time and 10 years time, we'll probably be having a a different conversation about what the general leadership looks like in organisations now. Can you be too self-aware and what might the impact be on you and the people that you lead if you become or are naturally a, just a little bit too self-aware? I'm not sure being too self-aware is something that concerns me and maybe would, doesn't need to concern us necessarily. I think when self-awareness slips into becoming worrying rumination I think that is when we need to reassess what we think about in terms of self-awareness I think if 
if you've done maybe something like a 360 review and you've had feedback and that feedback has really been jarring, I think that has the potential for you to start ruminating and then you're going to be worrying about every step you take, every word you utter. And I think that has the potential to become very negative. So I think if you are reviewing your definition of self-awareness and your model to develop your self-awareness and you keep that in check, I think self-awareness is a positive thing. And one of the ways that you can do that is by getting other people involved because I think whether you're talking about a, a trusted colleague or a coach or a manager, they have that ability to bring you back to this is just about self-awareness. This is about improving yourself, moving forward, developing. This isn't about rumination and about going over and over the feedback that you may have had to the point where that just makes you unwell. Is emotional intelligence something that we can teach people? So Neil Jurd, obviously, Leader Connect, Neil Jurd, the leadership book, et cetera, et cetera, strongly believes that that anybody can become a good leader. Now, I don't know where you sit on with with that, but some people I think have a high level of emotional intelligence. Some people don't. Does that mean therefore that they will struggle to be a successful leader? We know that functional skills, those kind of things can be taught, but this level of, you know, emotional intelligence, understanding people, self-awareness, being self-aware of that for of other people, can that be taught as well? I think it it can to an extent, but I think you have to start with an innate ability. And and this was something that again I looked at in my research because there is this argument of nature and nurture. Mm. And the view that transpired was that you have to have some innate abilities on which you can build. Um, If we're talking about leadership courses or we're talking about um, emotional intelligence courses, learning, training, you have to go to those from the basis of wanting to learn, having something from which to build. Um, I think it would be like me going in and being trying to be trained as as a mathematician it's yeah. not an innate ability that i have so i think if we if we think about it from all of the innate abilities the things that we're good at the things that we're not good at i think you have to start from a place of interest um an innate ability that you can build from i don't think if they if you have somebody who has no emotional intelligence or maybe are prone to narcissism i think you are on an uphill struggle and whether you'll ever get to the top of that hill, I don't know. The concept of of building a successful team as well. And and you know, in an ideal scenario, we'll have um people within that team that have a different skill set, both both kind of first order and second order. I wonder how successful the leader can be if they then have somebody in that team who has that really deep understanding of emotional intelligence and is quite intuitive, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder by having somebody in the team who is good at that, where you might not be great at that as the kind of assigned leader, I suppose, would that work or is that still going to be challenging? I think it's 
absolutely fundamental that as a leader, you need to work out the strengths and weaknesses and skills of your team and work out where your gaps are. Because if you do have somebody who's very emotionally intelligent and can support you in your role as a leader, absolutely use those individuals and benefit from their skills. It was interesting. Um, I've spoken to Gunther Verheyen, who's spoken to me a little bit more about Scrum and how Scrum methodology really goes against the industrial paradigm of organizations. So it tries to move away from this hierarchy that you've got a, an organization that's pyramid shape and that actually leadership changes to the person with the skill to be able to deliver that particular project. Mm-hmm. Well, if you are looking at organizational development and you are looking at HR policies or recruitment or um, diversity and inclusion, it would be... Uh, crazy not to include the individual who has high emotional intelligence to ask for their view, to ask for their help to develop these policies, procedures, protocols. So absolutely build your team. And if there is something pertinent that they can help with or that you're focusing on that on that particular time, use their skills to be able to lead. I just love that idea of of you know perhaps even turning up one week and and your your kind of focus is on this particular area because that's your skill set or, or or bringing somebody else in and and I think the world is now going to work like that because you spoke about covid earlier and how that's had an impact on everything you know more people working from home a lot of people feeling that they they want to be a little bit freer in the way that they work so you know perhaps being able to jump from different teams depending on what your skill set is and and maybe for for the next six months you're leading this and then somebody else comes in I think is is the new way that we will probably work you know I I have an eight-year-old and I'm certain that the way that she will go to work and do work when she's of that age will be entirely different let's just do the sandwich my favorite bit in the middle of these podcasts the one book in your opinion that every leader should read? Well, I know listeners might think that you've paid me to say this, but for me, it's the leadership book. Um, and uh, have, having read it, I think I've called it the the mini encyclopedia of leadership. And <laughs> I, I would like everybody who takes on their first line manager responsibility. So that first, first line manager role, I think it needs to be mandatory reading for them. Um, and I think it also needs to be mandatory reading for for leaders who've been around for a very long time, because I think it sets out all of the things that you need to know in just enough detail to either remind you or to set you off in looking for something that particularly interests you. So I think it's a it's a really excellent book that if you read any post that's on LinkedIn currently, there will be a reference to it in the leadership book if you're looking. And then if you're reading posts about leadership. Yes. And it, it talks just enough, I think, to be able to support managers who need to think about leadership within their roles and leaders who are leading organizations. So it is one of my favorites, most definitely. And I think it needs to be thought of as a foundational textbook, either for management or leadership. I do have another book that I'm, I'm a big fan of, yeah. Matthew Saeed's uh, Rebel Ideas, because he talks about cognitive diversity. Um, and I think we've all become quite familiar with diversity of gender, race, religion within our organisations. But I still don't think we understand cognitive diversity well enough. And this book 
explains it very well and it and it talks about regardless of what race or gender you are if you all went to the same university it's quite likely you all have the same tutors and professors so actually where is the cognitive diversity if you all have the same ideas about things oh Two for the price of one. And to clarify, no money exchanged hands in this segment of the podcast. So thank you for that. Neil has just done a a, a TED Talk. I was there. Oh, oh, you were in the audience. I was there. Well, thank you so much for making your way down to Croydon. I hope you loved every minute of it. It was great. It's my first time I've seen Neil in 3Ds. In that TED Talk, he talked about the concept of finding time and space as a leader. And it's a frightening concept. Let, let's be honest, you know, we do live in a very, very busy world and, and and we work with a lot of different leaders from a lot of different organizations. They are all very, very busy. How do you find thinking space in, in amongst all of the other stuff that you're doing? My house is pretty quiet. So I guess I'm quite lucky that when I go home and I, and I finished my proper job um, as an assistant director in a children's charity, I go home and do my podcasting, blogging or whatever. And maybe my greatest challenge is finding space to not do any of that. <laughs> so proper thinking time, which is really time out. I like yoga. Um, I do a little bit of walking. I do a little bit of meditation, uh, probably not as much as I would like. But I guess I'm always lucky that I can go home and it's always quiet. So whether I sit at the back of the garden or I, I sit in front of my computer and listen to some music or whatever it might be, I have that space and time. But I probably don't get out in nature as much as I should. You have a wonderful podcast. I absolutely adore podcasting. I think it's the greatest medium of communication. Your favourite episode on your podcast? Oh, that's, this isn't the first time I've been asked this question. And it is so difficult because... Um, the way I run my podcast is that every guest is asked the same five questions and they will come at it from a different perspective. So it's really difficult to get a favourite because everybody comes at it from that difference. Mm. Um, I suppose one, and it's actually the most popular podcast, is my conversation with Alison Lagier. And Alison appointed me to one of my very first junior management roles mm. or well over 20 years ago. And I... I kept in touch with Alison and watched her career develop and change over that time. So to be able to come back and talk to her about that, um, you know, she she was she was one of the very senior managers. So to be able to to be that little person that was actually speaking to Alison was like wow, and it was such a good conversation. And reflecting, I guess now it was a good conversation for everybody else who's listened to it as well, because it's, as I said, it's the most popular one. So I guess that is something that, that chimes differently for me because I got the amazing Alison Lager to come and talk about self-awareness and self-aware leadership. And Neil came to speak to me too. And, and it was great hearing Neil um, answer some of my questions because of course, having read his book, you know, what, how, how do we have this conversation in real time? That was brilliant. Final question of the sandwich. One element of leadership that you have personally really struggled with? Receiving feedback constructively would have to be my biggest challenge and, and it'll be an enduring challenge, I guess. And 
I read um, Mindset by Carol Dweck oh, only a couple of weeks ago, and I really wished I'd read it before, mm. talking about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And yeah. I think I saw far more reflections of myself in the fixed mindset than I would have liked. But I think it helped me understand why receiving constructive, possibly negative feedback is so difficult for me, whereas other people will go, oh, this is great. Okay, now I can do something about it. I can learn, I can change, I can develop. Whereas for me, I probably need two days to recover from the emotional upset before I can do anything constructive with it. Um, And that is something that I'm sure I will always have, but at least I now recognize it and I can say, give me two days and I'll come back to you. Does self-awareness come easier to women? As part of my study, I didn't specifically look at gender. However, it came up. Mm-hmm. And there is a group of studies called the Self-Other Rating Studies, which is essentially, I rate me, you rate me. And uh, there are studies that say that direct reports uh, rated women significantly higher on self-awareness than they rated men. Um, so while women managers don't perceive themselves as more self-aware than men, they are perceived as such by their direct reports. So if anybody wants to go in and read more about that, um, Van Velsor et al., Bratton et al., both of those studies as part of the self-other rating studies do talk about gender. And I'm quite interested because I think that's very much played out in the resignation of Jacinta Arden recently and mm-hmm. Nicola Sturgeon, because both of them have talked about um, the emotional weight that they have felt during their roles and whatever you think of, of their leadership and, and the roles that they played. There is something about a self, self-awareness self that they have portrayed in their departure that I haven't seen in any male leaders that have departed their senior roles. Because then the question, of course, would be, is that because the men feel that they can't mention that because of our, the and we spoke before about our kind of preconceived ideas about what the leader should be like, is that strong, very direct, slightly autocratic, probably very autocratic man. So does, I wonder, isn't it? But then I guess being self-aware is also giving yourself the permission to be a bit more open and honest about how you feel emotionally about things. So so it's really interesting, isn't it? And again, it would be interesting to see in this kind of five-year time Definitely. that we've spoken about whether or not that changes for, for men as well. Yes, um, absolutely. Whether, we, whether organizations create that psychological safety for men to be vulnerable and to say, do you know what? This is taking an emotional toll on me. I'm going to go off and do something else now. I, I have I've done my role within this leadership position. I'm ready to move on and hand the reins to somebody else. I hope so. How can we all develop our self-awareness? Can you give us just a few hints and tips? It's interesting. This is a question that's come up a couple of times very recently. People are asking me this question. And I think I, for the first four or five years when I was looking into self-awareness, I was very much preoccupied in the definition of what is it and how do I explain it to other people. But if people are asking this question now, this is something I want to look into further. So I've started pulling together a list of how we develop our self-awareness next to my three layers, so my three-layer definition. And in terms of reflection, this is what I have so far. So meditation, 
journaling, coaching, gratitude. So I've recently put a gratitude board in our kitchen to see if we can start thinking about how we think about things. Psychometric testing, video playback. This is something I think is quite interesting. And now that I'm saying that, I can see myself on the video screen for Zoom. So there is a potential that, of course, we can play ourselves back and and look at how we are moving, think about the words that we are using. So video playback is something that all of us can potentially think about. Determining our values, beliefs and strengths. And I think for internal self-awareness, those are quite key. So what do I believe in? What is important to me? What are my strengths? So those are the things that I have been able to link to reflection layer. So the recognition and regulation layer, I have less at the minute, but I'm still working on this list. 360 degree reviews, trusted feedback or feed forward, mentoring and performance reviews. So these are the things that you can't necessarily do as well on your own and you will need somebody else involved. So they, so I think my list is almost organically developing into what can I do and what do I need somebody else's help to get me towards. So there are so many different ways of being able to develop your self-awareness. Something that I tried very simply, I attended a meeting and I gave a presentation and I wrote down three words that I thought in terms of my own MO during that meeting. I then asked three colleagues, people that I work closely with and people that I didn't work closely with, to give me three words of how they thought I'd uh, operated in that meeting. And I just wanted to see how far away our words were. Was there similarity? Was was it miles and miles apart? And for me, it was a a mini version of that self-other rating study. What do I think of me? What do you think of me? And the distance between those two opinions are what helps you to determine how self-aware you are. When we run courses and and we, we run residential courses, online courses, at the end of either the course or at the end of each session, we do exactly that. What three words would you describe either um, how you're feeling at the moment or how that session went, which then exactly that allows us to determine, you know, A, where people are, whether or not there's more that we need to do in the next session on a certain element. And it's a really, really useful thing. And actually, I started doing it at the end of the day with my eight-year-old. And I need to start doing that again, you know, three words for for the day. And then also then going back at the end of the week and reflecting on that. And I'd forgotten that we did that. And actually it was incredibly useful. Mm. I love all of those other things. I've never quite been able to get to grips with the gratitude because I know that we now see scientifically almost the results that that has I've never done it long enough to be able to see the results but it's actually kind of made me sit there and go actually I really ought to do this well that's all we've got is a little board in the kitchen and my husband and I and we sit over our, our dinner and go well what are you grateful for today and we just write it up so we're in the middle of week two so well I'll tell you how it's going in about a couple of months one of the first things that I did when I started my doctorate I went into the library and I happened to pick up a book that was on emotional intelligence and it was a workbook on how you develop emotional intelligence it had a cd at the back and everything it was a a proper textbook and I thought right my doctorate has to be useful and uh, it has to produce something at the end because I can't do all of this work and then not share it with people and for it not to be useful to people. So if there are any 
uh, coaches out there who help to write books, please do give me a shout because I would love to write it. It's just I can't pin it down yet. Links to all of Nia's amazing work and, of course, her podcast are in the show notes. And clearly, my piece of gratitude today is to thank you for listening to the Leader Connect podcast. So that you don't miss a single episode, please hit follow or subscribe. And I would love it if you wrote us a review. The more reviews we get, the more people will see the podcast. And the more people that see the podcast, the more we're able to empower people to become better leaders and better leaders equals a better world.